This is the Innovation Engine Podcast. Every Monday, we bring you interviews with some of the world's leading authorities on innovation. We talk about company culture, corporate leadership, emerging trends in technologies, and more. Coming to you from Three Pillar Global's headquarters in Fairfax, Virginia, here's your host, Will Sherlin. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine Podcast. On this week's very special episode of the podcast, we're going to go behind the scenes and behind the screens with some of the team that's building the iOS app for this, the Innovation Engine podcast. I'll be talking with a number of colleagues about where the inspiration for the app came from, what the process of developing the app has been like since it was first conceived, and much more. I'm going to kick things off today talking with Kevin Boyle. He's a client partner here at Three Pillar who has a background in product development, and he's the one who's responsible for coming up with the idea for the app in the first place. Okay, so I'm here with Kevin Boyle, who's a coworker of mine who has the dubious distinction of being the person who came up with the idea for the Innovation Engine podcast app. Uh, Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me on the program. Absolutely. So, Kevin, can you give listeners a quick overview of who you are and how the idea for the app came to you? Sure, Will. Um, so I've been designing and building software products in various capacities for clients for about the last 10 years. And I've been with Three Pillar for uh, the last four years, and the first three of which uh, designing and building products for clients and bringing them to market. And the last year, I was really focusing on bringing new services to clients to help them innovate, leverage more of Three Pillars' expertise, and stay relevant in the digital economy. As for the idea for the app, there were really two sources of inspiration. Uh, the first was trying to solve a problem of how to showcase our past performance and capabilities across the organization in a simple, elegant package. Uh, it's something that we run into all the time in sales. It's always you know, trying to show past performance to clients. And we're often held up by non-disclosure agreements where we can't show some parts of a product uh, or we've owned some part of the product lifecycle but not the whole thing. And delineating those areas of responsibility for each example kind of dilutes the value in the eyes of your customer. Uh, so I took that challenge and started asking, you know, how can we make this process easier? How can I make this process easier? And the second source of inspiration for the product came from looking at our services business and trying to find a simple way to showcase the breadth of three pillar services all at once. It's a challenge because our, our clients don't typically buy that way. They, they don't necessarily engage all of our services all at once. They have a variety of needs at any given time and are, are at different levels of maturity and, and capability to support them. So in sales, we're often in a position of, of pulling multiple references and projects together to create a complete picture for a prospective client, and that's taxing. Um, so again, I, I started asking, you know, how can we make this process easier? So, so tying this back to innovation, in my view, you know, the opportunity to innovate really comes from two primary places. Uh, the, the one is serving an, an underserved market that doesn't have a service or product to meet its needs. And the second is identifying those areas where, where people are experiencing friction or inefficiency in something that they're doing, but they don't question it. 
Um, they just kind of accept that's how it has to be. Um, and it, and it's in identifying these pains and asking ourselves these how can I questions that we're empowering our subconscious minds to, to do our creative thinking for us, which they're really, really good at. Um, and so, you know, the answer might not come immediately when you ask. It, it might come days or weeks later. Uh, the, the key is framing the challenge in the right way and asking the right questions. Um, so, so with my, my mind running through, you know, options and solutions to those problems in the background, eventually it kind of led to, you know, why don't we build a product for ourselves that, that gets the entire organization involved. It, it really just seemed like a logical step for us. Okay, nice. And I, I never miss an opportunity to plug previous episodes of the podcast, but I, we had a guest on named Warren Berger who wrote a book called A More Beautiful Question. And that was one of the big things that he's talked about is, is you can you can solve real business pains if you ask yourself the right question and how might we can be a very powerful way to start a sentence. If you start with the question rather than an answer, you're much more likely to get to an endpoint that is uh, something that will be successful. Um, so, okay, that aside, aside, what happened once you had the idea for the podcast app? What did you do with it? Sure. Um, you know, so it started with, with socializing the idea around the sales and client services team to see if, if they were feeling the same pain that I was. And, and thought it would be a useful tool. Uh, that, that's really how we start any customer research. It's, it's validating that we have an idea that's worth investing in and bringing to market. And very quickly, people were jumping on board, generating lots of new ideas, and, and pushing me to drive this forward. And it was clear we had a market for the product. So you know, the next step was uh, pulling together a compelling message that I could take to the executive team and sell. Uh, to which you know, they were immediately on board and very quickly had a budget and team assigned and we were off to building a product. Okay, and what were you expecting from the app when you first had the idea, Kevin? And what have you thought about what you've seen so far? Sure, Well, So as I mentioned earlier, I was really looking for the best of all of Three Pillars capabilities in one place to showcase to our clients. I was looking towards product strategy, user experience, engineering and, and operations to be showcased. So with, with product strategy, I was looking for a clearly expressed value through a sensible product vision. So when I pick up the product, I, I want to know what the value is to me. Why am I using this product? From UX, um, I was looking for a delightful experience. I, I want it to feel harmonious with the intention of innovation. And I'm looking for a beautiful design. I want to be proud to showcase this to our customers. Uh, so you know, the interactions I want to be smooth, and I want the visuals to be compelling. From engineering, I want to be able to showcase our capabilities in mobile, our ability to deliver multimedia content with modern content management systems. I want to be able to leverage the open source tools that we've contributed to, like SocialAuth, uh, which is a, a really great way to reduce friction in signing up users and deliver a, a personalized user experience. We also have a recommendation engine that's a solution accelerator that we bring to a lot of clients. That's also a really great way to personalize a product. So you know, just being able to elevate those aspects of our business and bring them to clients in a way that you know, maybe they'll see how they can implement them in their own products. I also want to really highlight our delivery capabilities with our adapted scrum practices that deliver working software every two weeks 
and our DevOps practices that enable those builds to be reliably released to production. And from what I've seen thus far, I think we're building a great product that really addresses a pain for the sales and client services team. Okay, nice. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for coming on the podcast to talk about the genesis of the podcast app. Thank you for suggesting it, and uh, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Will. Thanks for everything you do on the the podcast, and I hope that uh, the app's a, a good extension to your platform. Absolutely. The next person I'm going to speak with is Matt Sitch. Matt is one of those wonderkins who's never met something he couldn't design and build. And he was one of the first people to take a slew of different ideas about the app and turn them into something concrete. Okay, so I'm here with Matt Sitch. Matt's uh, Matt's a developer here at Three Pillar, who, as we've just been discussing off the air, could also be referred to as a unicorn. So I think the definition we found online was actually for designers that can also develop, but Matt is a developer who can also design, or maybe he would tell you the other way around. Either way, Matt's as comfortable working in Photoshop as he is, as he is in Swift or Objective-C, and he was one of the first people uh, to, to really take ideas out of the ether and then put them onto a screen. So Matt, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So Matt, as I mentioned, the first time the app really started to become tangible was when you got your hands on it. What does it feel like to see your creation starting to come alive right before your very eyes? It's really thrilling, actually. Um, The reason I got into coding, and you actually mentioned, do I think of myself as designer and became a uh, coder or vice versa? I think of myself as designer, first and foremost, even though my my title at Three Pillar is software engineer. My uh, programming came as a result of wanting to bring my designs to life and wanting to see the animations work on my phone. So just being able to, that, that feeling of showing someone, look what I made, you know, it's working, it's moving around. It's, it's, you know, that it's, it's an amazing feeling. Okay. So speaking of the design, have you downloaded the most recent version of the app or have you seen that? I did not get a chance to see it now. Okay, well, a new version came out today, but you've seen a recent enough version to know that what we've ended up with or the the kind of design direction we've gone in looks quite a bit different than the app that you originally dreamt up. Is that something that's bothersome to you at all, or does it just kind of come with the territory? No, so when I first sat down with you and we kind of designed the initial design, I knew I wasn't going to stick with that. Just from experience, I know that the first design I make is really just to get the ideas on the screen and see what I don't like. You probably remember when I talked to you in the kitchen later that day, I, I told you, like, I don't like this design. And the next day I came back to you with a completely different design. You know, so I completely changed my design. And so and when it went to our designer in Romania, he changed it again. You know, so it's, 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 not, it's not like uh, taking away from the previous design. The previous designs are there to work off of. You know, you see what's there and you, and you improve on it, improve on it, improve on it. And, you know, it's a good thing. So it's, it's not bothersome at all. Yeah, it's, it's additive more than subtractive, I guess. Exactly. Matt, let me ask you a little bit about how the sausage gets made when it comes to iOS apps. For me, one of the most frustrating parts of the process was having to wait what seemed like an eternity to get my hands on new builds of the app as they were deployed to test flight. What is that process like and why does it take so long? So the process can take a while sometimes because of test flight. Once Apple bought test flight, the whole deployment process changed. Um, it used to be that you could just build your app and just distribute it to all, all the testers over test flight immediately. But now that Apple has bought test flight, they have to review it first. Um, and there are some tricks to get around that. You probably noticed this morning the, uh, the reviewed app came in much faster. 
Um, and it's not because the review was much faster. It's because the, the new version uh, wasn't reviewed. And that was because I emailed uh, Ovi over in Romania and I told them about this trick to get around the review process. Basically, before they were, they were actually cha- incrementing the version number. But there's a trick that if you just increment the build num- number, not the version number, Apple will ask you if there are any significant changes. If you say no, then it goes straight through. Nice. Yeah. So uh, sadly, even after having recorded 81 of these podcast episodes, I can't always get the mics to work right. And Matt and I recorded an episode yesterday in which we talked about this very same thing. He knew of a solution for it, emailed it to Ovi, and uh, all of a sudden our builds are are getting deployed in what seems like minutes as opposed to uh, what would be hours previously. Um, (laughs) So, uh, And and that's, I mean, like, and that's that's a really big plus to working in a company like ThruPillar because you have all these people with their specialties and, you know, if someone's having a problem, just go ask someone and, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's it's a great environment. Yeah, definitely. So, so let me ask you a question on that front. Typically, you're working on client projects, but this was an internal three pillar project. Were there yeah. angles of that? You know, like people being able to come over and, and complain uh, about part of an app to you, or anything else that made it di- more difficult than normal client work? Um, it wasn't difficult. Uh, I think the, the initial part of trying to figure out who the client was, who the stakeholder was, took a little bit of time. But once we got that uh, figured out, it it started going much faster. Actually, I think in some respects it was easier because I was able to just walk over to, to whoever's desk and, and ask them the, the questions directly and get them resolved immediately. Yeah. You know, and that, that, that really speeds up the process. Okay, nice. Well, Matt, thank you so much for all your contributions toward the uh, design and development yep. of the app. It certainly would not be what it is without you. And thanks for coming on the podcast to talk about the process. Sure. Thanks for having me. For the next snippet... We're going to go all the way around the world to Eastern Europe, specifically Romania. That's where my colleague Paul Exente resides, and he's the main man that took some of those early designs from Matt Sitch and added his own twist to them. Okay, so I'm here with Paul Exente, who's a senior UX designer in one of our Romania offices, and Paul was the first person to really breathe life into the app from a design perspective and, to, and take some rough ideas and uh, put a, a beautiful visual treatment to it. So, Paul, we'll talk about all of that, but specifically I want to ask about the 3D touch interaction that you envisioned for the app. It's new in, uh, in iOS 9, I believe it is, for iPhone 6S. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that touch interaction, what you envision, and how it will be employed in the app? Yeah, sure. So... Um, so first of all, um, the 3D touch was around by the same time I started uh, doing some mocks and concepts about the the app, and it, it was a really cool idea. And I, the main thing we used it is because uh, it serves as a shortcut to the whole to the whole uh, to the whole app flow. So the 3D touch serves for from the 3D touch menu, you can just start the podcast. See, see a brief summary of the podcast episodes, and uh, and go to the to the podcast from one from the first screen. So you don't have to just from from from. It's a shortcut to the flow, basically. Uh, that's that's the whole idea of it. Just pick and pop, pop how Apple describes it. Yeah, and so I've I've seen commercials for it, haven't experienced it myself, but I think you know the the pressure with which you touch the screen changes what happens maybe the direction can you talk a little bit about like expected behaviors and how it may change the way we interact with our phones 
So we just swipe left, right, top, and bottom, and each each side uh, each side uh, is is attributed to a different action. So if you if you if you engage the 3D touch, uh, if you swipe left, it shows up the play button, which will start the episode based on your if you're new to the app, it will start from the first episode or the last one, depending on the preferences. And if you swipe right, you will you will uh, you will see the you will see the favorite button swipe down to swipe down to go to the podcast and swipe up just to remove everything and get back to where you were so the 3d touch basically is just it, it was just uh, used as a shortcut for the more advanced user okay nice uh, at this point the 3d touch is just in the in the pioneering stage if i may say so and it's just up to us to make it make it work in a different way across different sections so in the future maybe we can inter we, we can add more 3d touch interactions to the app we'll see if, if it's needed so I, I see it as a quick as a cool way of doing hiding shortcuts to that yeah definitely so let me ask you about the the kind of the, the visual treatment that I mentioned before, because once you get your hands on the app, it, it the look and feel changed. Uh, it became darker. Black is uh, is heavily used in the uh, in in the you know overall look and feel and in, in, in all of the screens. Was there any specific inspiration for the design that you cooked up? Uh, so the main idea behind the website the, behind the app was to be as simple as possible and. I, I tried the different color schemes, but uh, I think white and black are just perfect for each each one. So when you start the first first time you start the app, it's a white screen, and after that you just dive into the app, and going down a different layer, it just the thing gets darker and darker, so it forces you to focus on things. So black black is a really is a really good way on keeping things aligned and focused on yeah and in in your work on the app did you actually listen to any episodes of it a few of them <laughs> <laughs> all right and do you have a favorite it's like i guess the i mean, I mean the 71 was the last one which i kept playing because i had to add information about each episode rather just by on adding just Laura Mipson, which is the standard. So I don't like adding Laura Mipson because it has no value. Right. I mean, it add, it adds value, but I don't feel charmed by the Laura Mipson type. So I had I I I found I searched for all kinds of information about the podcast duration to be exact the same thing as the real deal. Nice. Well, as a as someone in marketing who has to deal with Laura Mipson text, uh, not really being a, a representative example of how things will work in real life i very much appreciate that let's uh, see there's also a cookie ipsum which i use lately which is just gibberish with candies and stuff like that so <laughs> that, that's more fun than just lorem ipsum in latin or english nice uh, episode 71 i'm trying to see was that the hub of all things uh, i think so <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, well, Paul, thanks so much for uh, for taking some time to talk. Appreciate your contributions toward the app, and uh, look forward to, to getting 
uh, a creation that is, is partly your baby out there into the world. I'm looking forward to Thank you for having me. Definitely. The next guest that I'll be talking to is Chris Graham, who's a client executive at Three Pillar in the media and entertainment space. Now, if you listen to the 78th episode of the podcast on disruptive innovation in the media and entertainment space, you'll remember that Chris is the first and only guest so far to have periscoped part of an episode. Okay, so I'm here with Chris Graham, a.k.a. Instagram. You may remember him from episode 78 or so of the podcast where we talked about disruptive innovation in the media and entertainment space. Welcome back to the studio, Chris. Thanks for having me back, Will. Absolutely. So, Chris, you, you've been kind of on the ground floor of uh, this whole project. You were in some of, the, uh, some of the early kickoff meetings around it. Talk a little bit about, if you don't mind, what some of those early kickoff meetings were like, the brainstorming session, some of the ideas that got kicked around, and how we've gone from that to where we are now. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we started, um, I think we started with a, a fairly large group um, that was a mix of client services, team members from the engineering group, our labs team, which is our ATG uh, so that was team members that were over in Romania and India, and then our product strategy team. So a couple product managers and uh, user experience designers. So it was kind of a mix of, of different team members. And we started with just kind of at a very high level, what are some problems out there, business problems or technical problems or market opportunities? Um, and I think our, our product strategy team, actually, I think Jessica Hall led us through a, sort of a um, a whiteboarding exercise just to come up with different ideas of what's something that we could build. Um, and then through that, I think we started to discuss what were some of the secondary outcomes. So not only the product itself, but what else did we want to achieve through this process? Um, I think from that meeting, we realized, okay, let's put, pull this back a bit and work with a smaller team and really focus on something that's much more specific. That's when we then circled back and uh, had a smaller group session with, um, at that point, it was really someone from product strategy and a handful of people, if that, from engineering. And that's when we started to talk about what's something that we could do uh, that we think would be compelling within the media space. And since we've been doing these podcasts for quite some time, we felt like that was a great place to think about, here's a lot of content that we have and how could we um, how could we use that to our advantage as if we were a media company? Uh, and that's where we decided to, to build a podcast app. So then from there, we started to go through and look at what are other tools out there like SoundCloud and Howl and um, Stitcher and, and iTunes Radio and iTunes Podcast, all these other things. What, are, what else is out there to start to think about what, what we could build? One of the things that we did focus on was our labs team has actually already built a, um, a tool that's used for metadata management. So um, within the media space, uh, it would be used as a tool to tag and categorize content and even snippets of content to say this is about this type of category or this type of topic. And then over time, what you could do is then use that metadata that you've generated to, um, to drive personalization and allow people to discover content. So that was something we thought about, is how could we build an app that could integrate into some of these other tools that we've built within the labs team? So fast forward to where we are now, we've got an app that it's ready to release pretty soon, right? I see you showing it to me, so we're, we're nearly there. Yes, have, have you seen it recently? I saw it last week. 
Okay. I don't think I've seen it since then. Would you like to see it? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, do me a favor and, and scroll down there to episode number 78 and take a look at it and see what you think. All right. You're going to see your, your smiling face looking back at you. So disruptive innovation in the media and entertainment space. There I am. So really, what we've done here, and I'll kind of narrate since you can't see it on the podcast that you're listening to, is we're taking the content that's available on our traditional desktop or our web site uh, and we're now ingesting that content or that feed into this podcast app, and it's pulling a lot of those assets in. So the same thumbnails and images and, and sort of the branding that goes on our, on our website, we can now see come through in, that, in this podcast. Um, and then it has the typical stuff. You can stream, fast forward, rewind, skip ahead to other episodes, view recommended episodes, share. But it's cool. It's got... Um, a description. I know we've talked about longer term. We want to look at how can we do transcriptions so that yep. we're transcribing these podcasts into text for discovering. Now, that's something that kept coming up as we built the app and talked about just podcasts in general is discoverability is tough in, in podcasts. There's so many out there now. There's such great content, but it's often hard to find unless you're following recommendations from friends, family, news articles, et cetera. So this is cool. This looks really good. Uh, and this was fast. I mean, it felt like, I guess it's, how long has it been? Only a few weeks, right? Uh, that, that, that might be overstating right, a little bit. It feels like a few weeks to me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, still, it's still been a very fast project. I think what probably slowed us down was it took us a few iterations to really figure out where did we want to focus. Um, the other exciting thing for me is that the other outcome, not only of us just having another way to distribute our content and get listeners to, to, to listen in, is this also helps just to show our capabilities within, our, within the space, meaning here's an example of an iOS app that we've built. Here's an example of an Android app that we've built. Um, we build those all the time for our clients. We've got plenty of case studies that we get to show. But some of the work that we do... Um, we're doing it with the client as if we're part of their team, and, and that's a harder thing for us to market because we don't always have the ability to do a press release or write a case study depending on, on non-disclosures and things like this. So this is, I think, going to be a big sales tool for us, and, and then I think it's also a way that we can tie back how, how we can leverage tools that our labs have built and use those as accelerators. So if they've built a metadata management tool or if we've built some sort of functionality to do transcriptions or to send out files to crowdsourced um, you know, audio or video transcription services, those integrations points, if we can show how these accelerators that we've developed in labs are now bring, are coming back to actual product, that's, that's exciting to me because that's, that's the purpose of our ATG and the labs group. Um, so yeah, this is, this is really cool. And I think there's, we've built a good first releasable product that I think we can now iterate on and, and, and continue to, uh, bring in some, some new features and functionality. I'm just surprised. I'm looking at your phone here. I can't believe you're on sprint. I didn't know people (laughs) still use sprint, but anyways, uh, always has something to say. That's why we call him Instagram. Uh, we might, might want to bleep that out in case Sprint is interested yeah. in doing, doing work with True Filler. Uh, I'm an AT&T user, so I'm really uh, a big fan of uh, AT&T and 
and uh, DirecTV, that acquisition, great stuff. So AT&T, if you're listening, call us up. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know that we need to go down the rabbit hole of service <laughs> providers, but I did cut my uh, phone bill in roughly half going from AT&T to Sprint. And uh, uh-huh. I can go get the new iPhone 6S uh, any time now, basically. And hopefully I, I would be able to explore some of the 3D touch interactions that I know we've at least designed. I don't know that they're baked into this version of the app. Uh, but but will be for future versions. Uh, Chris, thank you for coming back on. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for uh, taking part and being uh, you know a big part of driving this process. Well, thank you. You're the uh, man behind the mic that keeps the podcast going. So we wouldn't have been able to build it without you cranking out all these podcasts. So nice work. Thank you. I appreciate it. To wrap this episode up. We're going to go full circle and invite back the first person that we ever had on the podcast, Three Pillars CEO David DeWolf. If you've been a longtime listener of the podcast, you'll recognize the voice of the next guest. It belongs to Three Pillars CEO David DeWolf, who's been on the podcast a number of times, starting with the very first episode of the podcast. He was also on for number 25, number 50, most recently, number 75. Uh, David, thanks for coming back on. Thanks for having me. It makes me feel old when you say it that way. (laughs) You have no idea how old it makes me feel. (laughs) But so, David, as you know by now, on this episode, we're telling the behind the screens story of how the podcast app came to be right so you're ultimately the person who greenlit development of the app when kevin first pitched the idea to you why did you say yes you know it's a great question um first of all i I just thought it was a good idea to take a step back and do something different right We, we talk a lot on this podcast about innovation we talk a lot about getting outside of the box. And one of the things we want to do at 3Pillar is to not just build great products for others, but think about new ways to challenge ourselves, to think outside of the box. And this podcast is one way where we did that originally. And to take that to the next level and say, well, in today's new media age, yeah, podcasting was a pretty modern new thing when we started it a while ago. A lot more people are getting on board now. How do we take that to the next level? And in doing so, not just challenge ourselves to think outside of the box and and do something unique for us and how we operate, but also to then be able to leverage it to demonstrate to our clients that we eat our own medicine. Yeah, so to speak. Um, And so, you know, this first version, this first release that we're putting out there is is that first stab of saying, hey, we can do something a little bit different. And then just like we do with our clients, let's take these baby steps and these pivots along the way to really stretch ourselves and continue to grow. And hopefully out of it, we'll be able to really create something unique and special. Yeah, definitely. And it's been a good opportunity for me to over the course of kind of testing the app. I've listened to some old episodes of the podcast where we didn't have the as they say in the biz, the bumper on the front there where you, you have the intro. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I literally at one point thought that there was a bug in the app where, where it was it was like sped up to 1.25 or 1.5x <laughs> because I was reading the intro so fast. <laughs> uh, but it's been nice. Actually, we're going to go through and re-record intros for a bunch of these so that, you know, once this app gets out there in the place and of course becomes a, a hit, yep. um, everybody will have a, a nice consistent experience from episode one to episode uh, 81 and beyond. That's great. You, you know, one thing I'd add, another key piece of this is that innovative organizations have to learn how to fail. And so when you hear an idea like this that comes from the grassroots 
and you don't necessarily see the vision, right? You think, okay, podcast that. What's really unique and special? Is there anything innovative about that? Well, we don't know yet because we haven't tried, right? So one of the thought processes behind this was, well, there's nothing totally unique and special about this that's going to blow anybody away yet, but that's all right. Smart risks are okay. And what I loved was the different thought behind it of let's do something different. Let's think outside of the box and let's not be afraid to stick our necks out and fail. So, you know, success for me in this can be one of two things. It can be, Hey, we actually create something different and special, but it could also be, Hey, we totally made a smart risk and we failed at it. And that's okay. That's success. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's the other key part that we'd be remiss, especially on this podcast, not to mention. Yeah. So, now that we're you know a few months down the line from when the idea was first pitched to you and you said yes, can you talk a little bit about what your expectations were for the app when you decided to commit resources to it and have those expectations been met from what you've seen? Yeah, you know, one of the things, most everybody's probably heard the saying, uh, the cobbler's children have no shoes, right? And so it's really hard in an organization like ours where we're partnering with other companies um, to help them innovate and to help them build great products yeah. to actually take the time to build our own and to double down that, like you said, commit resources, right? So my expectations were that we'd have a bit of a rocky start, that it would be hard for us to dedicate resources to get it off the ground, and that we'd have to really push ourselves to execute with the same discipline um, that we do on engagements. And I I would say my expectations were met right out of the gate. It was a little bit hard and rocky to get us going and to really commit the resources, right? I'll never forget the first... um, version that I saw when first came out uh, right early early on after I think two weeks of development or something and and the user experience on it left let me just say a little bit to be desired right and it was like well you know why is it this I mean really this is what we produce for no we just didn't communicate commit any user experience and design to it well there you go, light bulb off, right? Um, So I think you have to be willing to take those risks. And when you say take those risks, that means committing the right resources to it. Um, And so what I've been pleased at is I think as an organization, we have learned along the way how to instill the same discipline and instill the same, um, you know, professionalism and standards into what we do into our own thing. And I think as a result, um, we're starting to get there and, and and we're really primed now to, to implement new ideas and to get feedback and to integrate it into our process and take this to the next level. Yeah, definitely. So version 1.0.7.2 hit inboxes this morning, and uh, it's the best looking one that we've seen yet. Uh, and uh, and it's now November 6th. We're looking at probably submitting to the App Store uh, from what I hear a week from Monday. So that would be November 15th, and it would be in the App Store uh, at the end of November or early December. So, uh, hasn't been as your reference totally smooth along the way, but we're going to have an app for the podcast. That's yeah. pretty cool. There you go. That is pretty cool. Yeah. We'll, we'll see if anybody downloads it. Right. But, um, <laughs> you know, hopefully we get, get great user feedback first round. Hey, what about adding this? What about that? Um, here's how you can make it different from the podcast player that exists on the phone. Like, why do I need to install a separate app? And it'll start to take it in a new direction and, um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, definitely. Well, David, thanks so much for saying yes to the app. Uh, Thanks for coming back on the podcast to talk about the making of it. And I appreciate everything you do. Yeah, thank you, Will. It's uh, it's great to see how far we've come. Can you believe that original idea of, hey, why don't we try to 
figure out what this podcasting thing is all about. <laughs> Not only is this great podcast now, but now we're building apps around it. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's great to see. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks, Will. All right. Well, in wrapping up that episode with David DeWolf, I think I can safely say I just answered the question you've all been asking yourselves this entire episode. When can I get my hands on the Innovation Engine podcast app? All indications are that it will be out by the first week of December. So that will be Three Pillars early Christmas present to you, our beloved listeners. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that behind the screens look at the making of the Innovation Engine podcast app. Next week, we'll be returning to our regular weekly publishing schedule to talk with best-selling author Brant Cooper about his book, The Lean Entrepreneur, How Visionaries Create Products, Innovate with New Ventures, and Disrupt Markets. We'll be talking about why you should never, ever tell anyone to follow their passion, why having a vision doesn't always mean you'll be successful, and much more. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week. The Innovation Engine Podcast is recorded, produced, edited, and published each week by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. For more information on the company or our services, please visit our website at www.3pillarglobal.com.